God is good. All the time. It is good to be together in the house of the Lord as we gather for families and on All Saints Sunday. We especially welcome you as we come to remember your loved ones, honor them, and celebrate their life with you, with them. During this time, too, if there are any children wishing to go to Children's Church, uh, Faith is in the back. You're welcome to go and uh, meet her now at this time. Let us pray. Gracious and holy, amazing Lord, we come on this special and this holy day, Lord, with remembrance. Remembrance of those that we've loved that have gone before, giving you thanks for their witness and for their life, uh, for their legacy. Lord, coming in this moment, in this place, uh, thanking you, Lord, for worship once again here in the sanctuary. Knowing, Lord, that you're not just in the sanctuary, you're wherever we are. Uh, and even where we aren't, but we recognize there's something special, there's something intimate, there's something personal, something real. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we begin to worship together here in this place, that your blessing and your spirit fill it, and you fill our hearts to hear your word today. Set me aside, Lord, that it's not my word, but yours that's heard. In your name we pray. Amen. Jerry Lee Lewis. Angela Lansbury, Loretta Lynn, just a few of the famous people who have passed recently, but I think there's one who's probably touched more corners of the world than most others that we also remember, Queen Elizabeth, 96 years old, 70 years as the Queen of England. There are a lot of tributes that you probably remember or saw or heard or watched on September 8th after she had died. Many praised her for living a Christian life. Hear what the Archbishop of Canterbury said. It has been said very often in the last few days, but it bears repeating that in her life and example, God gave us the most gracious example of a Christian life and a Christian death. The Queen was widely respected for her faith, and many different organizations and Christian bodies recognized it. Another was the National Catholic Reporter that said this, What Elizabeth also had, and for which she was deeply respected, was a profound personal Christian faith. A faith that she personally and publicly articulated more frequently as she got older. And then on its website, the Methodist Church of the UK stated, We give thanks to God that the Queen's duty as a monarch was grounded deeply in a faith in Jesus Christ, which was an inspiration to countless people through her reign. The Queen spoke herself publicly on several occasions about her faith. Beginning in 1952, as she prepared for her upcoming coronation. I want to ask you all, she said, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out his solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you in all that I do. Fifty years later, almost fifty years later, she continued by saying, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. 
I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and examples. Today we celebrate All Saints Sunday. Specifically remembering and recognizing 18 people who've gone before us and also remembering those who've gone before us this year of family and friends and in years past. I invite you to take your worship guide and look at the list of the names that those we remember. What tributes today do we make to them? What attributes about their life still live in us or encourage us today? For the past two weeks, we've been going through a series on the book of James titled Living Out Our Faith. By taking a journey and remembering the great examples of those who've gone before us. But as we remember those who've gone before us, we also recognize that there's a question that begs for us to answer today. What is it about our life that people will remember? What is it about our faith that people might one day offer a tribute to? James has been adamant throughout this series that it's not what we know and it's not what we believe. That this is not enough. Faith without works is dead. And so today in living out our faith, James focuses on what we say. It's the third part of our series. James specifically talks about the tongue. He gives us some warnings on our journey to living out our faith. Will our words be building blocks or will they be stumbling blocks to others? Let's see what James has to say. In our scripture this morning, in the New Testament's book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I hope you'll follow along with me on the Bibles you've brought and your pew Bibles that you can easily access now. Or perhaps devices that you follow along in the scripture online. I hope you'll join us too for our reading this morning. James chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes... Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with the bridle. If we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, 
sets on fire the cycle of nature and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With, <clears throat> with it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made like the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my most embarrassing moments came in 12th grade. I was head of the student government at the high school and asked to give a speech and to share with a group of elementary students on their anti-drug campaign. Be smart, don't start, just say no to drugs. It was a huge deal, about a month-long uh, organization that took place to gather. The kids made t-shirts, the kids made posters, the parents came, we all gathered in the parking lot, everybody was given a red balloon, and I would say the slogan of the campaign, we would release it and celebrate the end. So the time came and I got ready to say, but this is what came out of my mouth. Be smart, just start, don't say no to drugs. I just told over 200 kindergartners and first and second and third and fourth and fifth sixth graders to use drugs with their parents around. Needless to say, it was absolute chaos. Half the kids released their balloons, the other half didn't. People hollered, that's not right. And I said, you're right, it's not right. And I tried to say it right, and other kids lifted balloons. It was pandemonium, and I ruined the moment for all. And 35 years later, I still remember that clearly. We've all said things we wish we hadn't said. Sometimes it's a public spoof like what I did. Sometimes, though, it's to a close friend or a family member. And the exchange can be just as chaotic. You know the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Do you know where that came from? This was fascinating. In 1862, in an African Methodist Episcopal publication, it was a response that was offered to a young boy who had been ridiculed at school to encourage him not to lash back out to the one who had done harm to him. We know words hurt. They're painful. Bruises and slashes from stones and sticks hurt. But these surface wounds can one day heal. But the pain from words can fester and sometimes last a much longer time. We can't just stick ointment and a band-aid on them until they get well. Our words to others can be just as painful or just as helpful. In the end, they speak about the faith that is inside of us. 
As we talked about these past two weeks, though, words are not enough. For our faith to be real, it has to be translated into deeds. Faith without works is dead. Let us stop deceiving ourselves. But words set the course. Hurtful words set up resentment. Encouraging positive words set up the relationship to head in the right direction. Let's look back at our scripture this morning, if you have it still open, of chapter 3 in James, verses 2 through 4. The writer compares a tongue to a bridle and a horse's mouth. We know what the bridle and the bits do. They control the direction of the horse. In many ways, the tongue determines our course. If we control the tongue, then we control the body. If not, then the body is likely to go way off course. Next, in verse 4, James compares the tongue to a ship's rudder. This navigation theme that's going throughout our journey with James. A small rudder can alter the course of a ship and direct it to safety or ruin. It only takes one person to usually, without much effort, control the rudder. The tongue, even though it's so small, can direct the whole course of one's life with little effect that it takes, or little effort that it takes. I think it's interesting in this passage that James is not advocating for silence. Though if you can't say anything good, then probably it is best to be silent and not say anything at all. But to be wise with their use of words. For the tongue can be powerful and dangerous. Look again at verses 5 and 6. It talks about a fire setting a forest ablaze with the fire. I don't know if you caught this, it was about two weeks ago in the town of Wooldridge, Missouri, that a fire began outside of town at a farm. It was a combine that was harvesting, and there are 25 to 35 mile hour winds. The combine caught on fire, it spread through the fields, it came to town, it burned half the town. The whole town had to be evacuated, and it took 50 different fire departments across the state to put it out. The Bible speaks often of forest fires. Jews in the region of Palestine knew them well. It was grass and brushy, and especially during the dry season that these fires would catch and spread like crazy. We can imagine the damage of a fire, but do we imagine the damage that our tongues do that's just like a fire? Two ways, James says. Damages can be such widespread and they're so hard to control. When a fire begins to burn, it doesn't care what's in its way. The tongue can do so much far-reaching damage. We don't have to be right next for a person to hurt them. As a matter of fact, we can live halfway across the world and with technology cause pain and angst and shame. Another way the tongue is like the fires, it's so hard to control. With today's technology, how fast does something go viral? You post it and you can't get it back. We lose control of it. Once something is said, the damage is done. We see so many examples of this in the news. The story of Kanye West, of Kyrie Irving, there are so many others that begin to dominate by the words and inappropriateness of which they use them. 
A few weeks ago, I noticed the coach at South Carolina began to shout at 275 female athletes to lead the field during a Title IX recognition of their game against Georgia. Yes, it was fourth and nine. Yes, he was going for it. He didn't want the opposing team, but he got caught up in the emotion and the ESPN cameras caught him in this tirade. Needless to say, there were major apologies that had to follow afterwards. Look back at James verse one. He uses the example of a teacher, or I think even a coach. Teachers receive a stricter judgment and most use, must use maturity and self-control. A teacher has to be careful, a coach has to be careful of what they say and how they live and not to contradict their teaching by their life on or off the field, in or outside the classroom. But judge, judgment is not just reserved for those who teach, but for all of us and how we use or abuse the opportunity to imprint others. It comes down to this, to balance. For us to stay on course, we must balance. For a ship to stay on course, it has to find the proper balance. That goes for our tongue, that goes for our life, on our journey of living out our faith. James continues in verse 7, talking about how difficult this is. He talks about God's dominion over animals. God-given human dominion over animals. We see that in the second creation story that humans are given the right to name these animals. And he gives us a connection. A connection between human speech and creation. If you have your Bible, you can look quickly back to chapter 1, verses 18, 19, and 20 of James. 18, we are the first fruits. 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And 20, for anger does not produce righteousness. James begins to clarify for us that our words, our, our speech is just not something that we have to be careful with, but it's actually a response to the very Creator who made us. Back to chapter 3 and verse 8. What's the tongue like? What's the tongue compared to in verse 8 there? Deadly poison. In the next few verses, we talk about the tongue working both ways. One can lift up a blessing, or one can offer a curse. One's tongue can encourage, or it can cause harm. This double-mindedness is a constant theme throughout James. And our tendency is we want the best of both worlds. Pretty ridiculous for a fig tree to try to produce olives. How ridiculous is it for us, for our mouths to praise God and then curse Him or one of His creatures. But we do it all the time. Jesus makes this connection on a spiritual level. He speaks to our righteousness, our right living, rather than just right or wrong. One of the hardest things about preaching is I've got to stand by what I preach. I've got to live what I preach. I've got to go home and face what I preached with my family. I've got to come to church on Monday morning and 
live what I've said. I make mistakes to you. I make mistakes to the staff. I make mistakes to my family. I try to apologize when I get upset or stressed or out of line. I know I'm human, but I know I'm held to a higher standard. And the burden sometimes and the guilt sometimes, especially to those we love, is overwhelming. I know many of you feel the same way. It boils down to this. The human tongue and the words that come from our mouth can be an instrument that builds others up and builds God's kingdom or an instrument that just as easily breaks others down and destroys relationships and leads others away from God. We must pay attention to the words we use. I remember in first grade, the teacher, I could state her name and I could tell you the boy's name, who said a few bad words and the teacher took him to the sink in the back of the classroom and she got that white bar of ivory soap and she stuck it in his mouth and she turned it around a few times. That boy never said bad words again, at least that I remember. And I know that teacher would probably be fired on the spot if she did it today. But what kind of example does that leave for us? It's not just about being, saying bad words, but being an example for others to follow and building others up as we seek to stay on course for living out our faith. Thanks for those who've been an example for us. And today, may we offer forgiveness for their mistakes. And maybe forgiveness for ours. The name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen.